Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, brother, it's good to see you back again this week. Yeah, great to be on. And we've got a we, we've got a, a bit of a controversial hot topic. Not that that's anything new to us. You know, we never cover controversial topics. We, we're, <laughs> anyone who listens to a podcast knows that we are both very afraid of uh, conflict. Anyway, um, it definitely that's, not <laughs> <laughs> forward slash sarcasm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So this uh, week, uh, yeah, th- this week we're we're looking at the topic of uh, abuse and coercion, and and the reason why this has come up, you know, I, I think over the last uh, probably a couple of weeks ago, um, biblical counseling was becoming a big topic. There's a lot of people more on the progressive side who are very against it. Uh, some would say it's okay as long as you have your boundaries and know when to hand it off to a professional therapist. Uh, but there were some people that just said straight up, don't send your kids to biblical counselors, send them to professional help. And <clears throat> so with all that negative uh, kind of publicity, I decided to chime in because I'm certified with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. And Nathaniel, I know you're getting trained um, as well. You're on your way to getting certification. Yeah. And we've got a small group of um, folks uh, on Twitter who are also certified. And I say small group, but it's actually, I, I think it's a considerable number. I see quite a few. Um, but I started, I decided to start chiming in because with a lot of the negative um, statements that are being made, a lot of it were just faulty statements. Like for instance, ACBC um, teaches that uh, men should uh, men should be especially harsh with with their wives to to the extent of um, of and I can't even think of the examples right now, but I remember they were, they were ludicrous and some people brought yeah. up some exact statements from the ACBC um, uh, training manuals that that refuted that. One was about medication, saying that um, ACBC. Um, specifically tells their counselees not to go on any kind of medication, to reject any kind of medication, basically giving medical advice when specifically ACBC tells us not to. And then at one point, I decided to chime in with just my experience over the past year and a half that I've seen married couples um, on the verge of divorce where at least one of the two partners wanted to get a divorce, um, but it was on unbiblical grounds in most cases. And then when I applied biblical counseling to their situation, um, they not only reconciled, but they're they're actually doing well. They're they're growing. They're healthier. They're in a much better place than they were yeah. um, at that point in time. And then there was a whole bunch of responses um, that came back that seemed to presume that there was coercion and abuse involved. Um, that uh, people were asking a lot of questions, assuming, well, that's that must be because the woman was um, forced or she's uh, a victim of coercion. You're using the Bible to coerce her to do things. You know, and then there was a, <clears throat> just to add to the story, there was a, another tweet that I sent out that said, um, words are not violence, uh, violence is violence. Yeah. And certainly there was a lot of people that agreed with that, but there were some very strong reactions against it. And a lot of people um, also want to equate uh, words with violence. And I think that ties into the abuse discussion. Yeah. So that's why we're taking this time to really talk about it. What, what do we mean by coercion? What do we mean by abuse? And where do we draw the line biblically? Yeah, it, it, it's a great topic. I think it's a very needed topic. And I, perhaps the first thing we ought to say is that, it, you know, we 
we do these podcasts and our intended audience are Christians, are believers, those who profess to follow Christ and the teachings of Christ, who uh, profess to believe what God tells us in Scripture. Um, and, and so, when we look at these things and when we define these things and when we decide how we ought to deal with these issues, we have to, as Christians, do so in a way that's consistent with God's Word. We're not concerned with the world's way of doing things. We're concerned with God's way of doing things. This is God's world, and we do things God's way, um, and His way is, is the way of truth. And so, you know, one of the problems is just defining these terms. If everything is abuse, then nothing is abuse. Right. And and right. I am I, I have to admit, it's a bit irritating um, to even see the word abuse now in some ways, because when you read past the first couple sentences, oftentimes what you discover is what they meant by abuse was very simply they disagreed with someone. Right. That's not abuse. Right. Um, it, just because you don't like what someone else ha- has to say doesn't mean it's abuse. Um, and, and we have all kind of you know, forms now uh, of verbal abuse. And, you know, we, of of course, there are legitimate abuses, right? You have physical abuse and you have sexual assault, which is sexual abuse. And uh, now we have verbal abuse and we have, I mean, just all kind of things in our current society has decided is is abuse and words, right? Words are violence. In other words, words are abuse is, is really what that's communicating. That was the heart of your tweet was, well, actually, no. Violence is violence. Words aren't violence. And I think really, and sadly, um, culturally speaking, we really just have a generation of a bunch of crybabies. You look at them wrong, and you know they they hide in a corner and stick their thumb in their mouth and cry for mom. Um, And I'm exaggerating that, but maybe only a little bit, because look at the last several years when major things have happened. You've had colleges who are bringing in hot cocoa and um, counseling dog or whatever you call these feel good dogs. Yeah. Because 23 year old college students are crying over who got elected president. It's 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 utterly ridiculous. Um, And and so we've created this culture of offense. And so now everything is abuse. Right. And I think this is plays into a lot of the problems that we have in the church. What do you think? Yeah, and I think this is one of those examples where the culture is really seeping into the church. Mm. And we talked about this a little bit when Gabe Hughes, when we had Gabe Hughes on the on the line, and we were talking about biblical manhood, and biblical manhood is not being affected by the culture. Well, I think this is one of those ways that the culture is seeping into the church when we start to view words as being uh, the same as physical violence, which it obviously isn't. But, you know, we see that in the world. We saw that with uh, the the mostly, quote unquote, peaceful protests that was lighting buildings on fire and then beating up people in, in the streets. Um, and, and then words from the, the, the former president are viewed as being violent and, and, and not to excuse the things that were said by the prior president. But we have to be careful to uh, make a false equivocation between something that someone says versus something that someone does. Yeah. So and I'll give I'll give just a practical example in terms of uh, me and my wife. Um, we don't have kids, but. Me and my wife, uh, look, I'm not, I would say by nature, I'm not a violent person. Um, but if you threaten harm 
um, upon me, and especially if you threaten harm upon my wife, and you're you're there in person, and I'm talking about physical harm, I will take action. All right, um, but if someone is just hurling insults, if someone is just putting words out there, that does nothing to us. It it only has the amount of power that you give to it. You know, so we do have a society today that you know, and this is also reflected in the kind of cancel culture that you're not allowed to say something that people don't like. It's reflected in kind of the safe space mentality on the college campuses where you go to these safe spaces so you don't hear people um, say things that are in disagreement with your own personal views. Um, it's the whole movement where just because we call homosexuality sin, we're called um, haters or homophobes or transphobes or whatever it is. It's using language in a way to try to present the situation as being to the point of actual physical violence uh, when, when it is not. And, and it's really, a, it's a cultural shift. And we're moving towards a place where people are not allowed to even disagree with each other. So there's a certain narrative that you're allowed to have, and then a narrative that you're not allowed to have. And if you disagree with the kind of the, whatever the cultural narrative is, now you're uh, guilt, you're guilty of, of, of verbal abuse or being violent with your words or being a hater or being a, and I'm not saying that's the case in every single place of disagreement, but that is the trend that we're getting towards. And it's a dangerous trend. And it's, it's one that is dictated by culture and not the word of God. Yeah. And I think one of, uh, to the point of it being dangerous, one of the things that makes it so dangerous is it actually minimizes genuine abuse. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because it, it, well, it's, it's just the, the crying wolf, right? You cry wolf, you cry wolf. Every time someone says something you don't like, you call abuse. And then when there really is abuse, people become so desensitized to the word uh, that they sort of just shrug it off because, oh, well, you know, this is just another snowflake. Um, and, and so that's, that's an unfortunate negative consequence of misusing and overusing the word. Well, okay. So what does abuse mean? When we say abuse, well, I, so I, I pulled up the Oxford Dictionary here. Let, let me just read through a few of these. It's interesting. People, you know, pick the ones they want to use and often manipulate and leave out the other definitions of possible use. But so we, we've got a few here. Uh, if you use it as a verb, uh, treating someone uh, or an animal with cruelty or violence, right? We're very familiar with that as abuse, especially. Now, this is interesting. The dictionary definition says especially regularly or repeatedly. Now, that's very interesting. Uh, if I remember, we'll come back to that. Um, uh, another definition uh, example is, you know, a judge abused his power by imposing, you know, additional fines uh, is an example of uh, abuse in terms of misuse. Right. So we could use it that way um, as a noun. You know, again, alcohol abuse, the improper use of something um, or cruel and violent treatment, again, a person or animal. Um, so just to give an, a, an example. So th those are kind of the, really just the two definitions the dictionary gives. Um, but once you start placing other things uh, in using the word to describe things like, you know what, homosexuality is a sin. Oh, or your words are abusive. No, um, I'm just telling you what God says. Yeah. Right. Um, you can call me whatever you want. If you want to accurately label me, you can call me a xenophobe. Um, yeah, perfectly happy with that. I'm afraid of sin and, and all believers should be right. We're told to flee from sin, um, but we call out sin for the sake of really helping people see their desperate need 
for a savior. I mean, this is why we call out sin, right? We call out sin in the church for multiple reasons. One I just mentioned, another is to keep the church pure. Um, you know, the church should never begin to look like the world. And, and so we look after those things, but um, yeah, let's just talk about maybe this, 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 uh, well, you've got your words are violence and silence is violence. So you, <laughs> everything is violence. <laughs> you know, if you don't say something yeah, and, and that's, or if you do, you're, you're just violent. You're abusive. Yeah, and, and that is the problem. And I think you made a great point that this is actually, um, it, it demeans the real victims of abuse. So there are real victims of, of abuse. And I would say there is, there is a, uh, such a thing as verbal abuse, but it's not nearly as, what, as broad as what people make it. And in fact, even in your um, definitions that you gave, it's, uh, it's, cruel, it's cruel treatment uh, towards someone else. And certainly, there are examples of parents of parents who I believe are verbally abusive to their children. Um, there, there can be examples of of men who are verbally abusive to women, and women same verbally abusive to men. I've actually seen that go go both ways, and and so we we mark that with the um, the intent of one person to to be cruel or to even to do a kind of emotional harm to someone else. Mm-hmm. Now, it's still not the same thing as physical violence. Um, but it can still be very, very damaging yeah. to to the person hearing it. Now, I, I think also this it, it matters that the relationship of that person to you. So if you're a child and, and a parent is verbally abusive, I think that matters. That that's that's a that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. If it's an outsider, if it's someone that we don't know, you know what? It it sucks. I, I wish that wasn't the case. Um, but that's one of those things you just got to be able to brush it off and and move on. And to to give an example, <clears throat> just from California, the state of California of how this is being thrown way overboard. The training c- curriculum in California for children when it comes to sex ed um, does include the encouragement to explore sexual identities and the idea of, of non-binary genders and all that. And one of the things that they teach, and I've seen the curriculum myself, I, I saw, the, uh, saw the material myself. One of the things it teaches is that any religious institution and that would include churches, any religious institution that teaches there are only two genders are guilty of spiritual abuse. Okay, so that's, that's where you take a, a highly inflammatory word like abuse, and you teach children that churches are guilty of it for standing upon what the Word of God says. And that's, that's, the, that's where the culture is taking us. And no, that's not abuse. That's, first of all, standing upon the Word of God, that's standing upon the truth. But even if you were to argue that the Word of God is not truly the Word of God, which, of course, for us, we're fully convicted it is the Word of God, but even if you were to make that argument, it's a difference of opinion. And a difference of opinion cannot be equated to abuse. You may not like the opinion. Um, you may not like some of the implications that you connect to that opinion, but it's not the same thing as abuse. And it's what a lot of people pointed out when I said words are not violence. They made the point to, well, words often lead to violence. And I said, well, even that statement by itself shows that there's a distinction between words and violence. Yes, I agree. Words can lead to violence, but the words themselves are not violence. And I would say for believers, and this is where the major application comes in for the believers, for people within the church, I would say no matter what someone says to you, it does not justify violence. Now, if they're, if they're threatening you in some way, call, call the law enforcement, right? Uh, if, if, they actually, if they actually start physically attacking you, then do what you have to, to defend yourself. Um, but someone just throwing words at you, you, you know what my counsel would be? It would be John 15, 18. 
when Jesus said, remember, if the world hates you, remember that it hated yeah. me first. So we were actually um, conditioned in the Bible, Jesus Christ conditioned his disciples to actually be ready for, quote unquote, verbal abuse from the world. And in many case, cases, it really is verbal abuse, but it's not the kind of abuse that I think people should be prosecuted over. Right, um, because they're they're speaking from their uh, opinions, and they're going to say hateful things because they hate God, and so we expect those things. Now, that doesn't mean we treat it the same way between husband and wife, and parents and children. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, there are there are different categories matter, right? Um, yeah. And and what type of abuse it is matter. And, and we've we've just gotten to the place where we've demonized. Um, well, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to say that because abuse is in in its basic form. It is demonic, um, but but we've gotten to the place where so much of society just kind of demands the same treatment for everything. So if I you know get upset and yell at my spouse versus you know if I you know slap my spouse or whatever, I, I've never done those things, um, but uh, they, they would they would warrant different responses. Right. And, and just to go back to this definition, if people want to be overly picky, it, it's just, again, it's interesting because it specifies the abuse here as categorizes it as something that is especially regularly or repeatedly done. So, I, you know, for me, and we didn't have a conversation about this beforehand, so we may differ on some of these things. But I mean, I'll just tell you right now, if, if a husband, you know, slaps his wife's hand away one time, I, I'm not going to say that's abuse. I'm just not. Um, and if it's not a regular pattern, it's not something that's repeated over and over. It's not even something that's harmful or hurtful, to be honest. Um, I, I would not call that abuse. Is it, uh, it, should it have been done? No. Is it acceptable? No. Um, but I'm not going to call it abuse, right? And so I think we've got to be careful with those kind of things. Um, it, it doesn't mean that there aren't issues that need to be dealt with or mind mindsets that need to be renewed by the Word of God, but we have to be careful by lumping everything in one category and trying to treat everything exactly the same. So, a wife screams at her husband versus, you know, um, I'm trying to think of something extreme, picks up a plate and throws it at him, <laughs> right? Right. right? Those yeah, are two very different things. Very yep. different things. Um, Neither of one, neither of which, by the way, I would say warrants divorce. So just throw that out there. Um, but in fact, let's just talk about the the marriage. This is because this comes up a lot, right? Let's bring some application. Maybe we'll throw out a few scenarios, and those who have the brains for it uh, can deduce and apply it to other situations. But um, it, you know, there we live in a world. We live in a fallen world. Here's the reality for the Christian: um, it is our expectation that we learn how to take and cover some abuse with love. Yeah. That's just true. Um, now, uh, let's talk about the, in the context of husbands and wives. Um, and and I, I'm no expert. I've been married for seven years, uh, but I know what the Bible has to say. Um, you, you know what? There might be times where a husband and wife has harsh words towards one another. Yeah. Should that happen? No. Um, it, it, am I going to classify that as abuse just because it happens no. uh, occasionally? Absolutely not. Um, now, in our society, it, especially if the husband does it, even if he just does it once uh, or if it's an infrequent thing, but it happens occasionally, you know, we want to cry verbal abuse. And I just 
you know, I don't think we can get there biblically. Um, right. Are there issues to deal with there? Sure. Now, that's a very different scenario than if the husband is, you know, slapping the wife in the face, right? Yeah. Um, that's a very different issue. And there are, and even that is different than a husband who is, you know, just brutally beating his wife. Yeah. Right. Now, I know some guys might be shocked. Uh, I, I think, you know, if you hear, well, you know, we, if a husband slapped his wife, what's really the difference between that and brutalizing his wife? Well, if you don't know the difference between that, then you really shouldn't be arguing with anyone about abuse. Um, but they are very different. And so you have scenarios where safety is a genuine concern and where it's not. Um, and th- this is just one of those areas where emotion brings in and does a lot of damage, right? Um it's very emotional. Our society is emotion driven and we don't think about these biblically. So, I mean, how should we be thinking about some of these scenarios? If I want to use the term abuse, we want to understand that. And more importantly, well, let me ask you this question, Nikki. Um, is it right for a Christian to expect to cover and take some levels of abuse? Yeah. And again, it, 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 it's going to depend upon how we define that abuse, but based upon how we defined it, that uh, there are um, harsh words, maybe in the moment, uh, words that are intended cruelly in the heat of the moment. Um, absolutely, Christians need to be able to cover that up. Um, even if between Christians, let's say there was some physical violence, you know, I, I would be rebuking um, one, probably both. You know, for their involvement in that or what escalated to that. And I would expect repentance and reconciliation. And that is absolutely possible. Now, between the husband and the wife, you use the example of, um, you know, even if someone took a plate and threw it at the other person, I would respond to it a little bit differently if the woman did it to the man versus the man to the woman, right? So the yep. woman to the man, because the man is the stronger vessel, um, I would expect him to um, not be in as much danger uh, compared to the other way around. And so it's unacceptable for a man to, well, it's unacceptable for either party to do that, but especially for a man. If a man is taking that kind of measures, um, I believe he's putting the wife in much greater danger than the wife would be putting the husband in, in the opposite scenario. Now, if you start getting to like knife or gun violence, then obviously, you know, that's the great equalizer, right? Yeah. So, so there, there's no one size fits all in terms of how, how you treat every single situation. Um, but in terms of abuse, the question is, was something a one-time thing? Yeah. And, and is the other person willing to repent of it? And, and that's true of whether it's a slap on the wrist or whether it's um, harsh words that's uh, being said between one another. And, and I'll tell you what, for men and women, and, and this is often the concern, at least from the, I believe, from the woman's side, that we're saying that, hey, if a man just verbally abuses, abuses you, we're going to tell the woman, well, you just have to take it. He is the spiritual leader of the house, and you, you need to just endure it, and that's it. Well, if that man is a believer, if that man is a Christian, I'm absolutely going to pull that person aside and rebuke him. I'm going to talk to him and say, this, this kind of behavior is absolutely unacceptable. And if he is um, engaging in physical behavior um, that uh, is uh, you know, to the point of putting her in physical harm, you know, I mean, so anything that, uh, you know, more than a slap on the wrist, but actually putting her in physical harm where she's having to defend herself, um, then I'm going to take a page out of what Dr. Street said. It's time to separate the two, um, get those two separated. Don't let them come back together <clears throat> unless that husband 
has shown um, what we believe is a is a genuine sorrow and and a willingness to repent and and change from those things. You, you know, when it comes to and we're we're both complementarians, probably more accurate to say that we believe in biblical patriarchy, right? Yeah. The male is the spiritual leader of the household. Um, but even then, when we look at passages like Ephesians chapter five, where it says, "Women, women submit, subject yourselves to the husband." I always tell husbands, it is not your job to make sure that the woman subjects herself to you. Yeah. That's not your job. Your job is to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And when you say harsh things towards her, when you yell at her, um, when you inflict um, any kind of harm at all, you are completely um, negating, you're completely disobedient to what those commands call for you to do. And so that is totally unacceptable. And even if, even if the wife, let, let's push this to an extreme. Let's say the wife is an unbeliever. She's um, verbally abusive, the way we would describe it. Um, she says a lot of mean things towards him. She does not subject herself to him at all. You know what my command to the husband would still be? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. You know, if, yeah. if she's hurling verbal abuse towards you, take it and try to win her over yeah. with the love of Christ. Try to show her that you're going to love her no matter what. And no, you are in no grounds or positions to divorce, um, but God will give you the strength to, to be able to endure this. And I do know of people that have gone through this and to have actually grown wonderfully um, in spite of this. You know, God can strengthen you to do all those things. Now, just as a disclaimer, none of the cases I talked about this past year had to do with either verbal or physical abuse, but I have been exposed to that in the past. And uh, again, God can strengthen you to get through anything. Jesus Christ endured all kinds of both physical and verbal abuse on his way to the cross. And, and he is an example to us. First Peter chapter two says he endured things, these things in order to be an example to us. And so we should be able to model this in our Christian relationships and within our marriage, so long as one or the other is not in actual physical harm's way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you said a lot of good stuff there. And I, I think one thing to draw out of that is the fact that, look, we, we have commands as husbands and wives from God. And what the other party does makes no difference in terms of your obedience to the command God has given you. So just as you say, and, and yeah, I mean, absolutely. If, and this is, I mean, look, you, Proverbs is filled with um, warnings about contentious women and, you know, almost the kind of verbally abusive type thing that we would imagine when we read those. Um, and, and like you, you know, I would just say to man, look, suck it up, buttercup. I mean, you married the woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you, your, your duty is to love her as Christ loved the church. Um, and if that means you have to suffer for the next 30 years, then you better suffer willingly as unto the Lord, because that's well. the command yep. you have, right? Yep. And, and, and the hope is that God softens her heart, and as he loves her the way he ought to, uh, despite you know whatever hardship, um, that God would change her heart. And you know what? If, if not, then you, know, that, then you live that way, and you live uh, in some ways experiencing even maybe more of what Christ went through, right? Um, it's a very interesting passage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. Um, he was persecuted. He was physically assaulted. He was whipped. He was bruised. He was crushed uh, for the sake of the church. And it's very interesting when we talk about 
you know, uh, hairs get raised on the back of necks and people go into an epileptic fit when we say wives submit to your husbands. But in all reality, uh, the husband's role, I I would argue, is is far harder Um, because ultimately outside of genuine life threatening situations, uh, for me, I would just about tell the husband he's going to have to deal with everything and anything. And yeah. you do it in a way that is as unto the Lord. Uh, you love your wife the way Christ loved the church because Christ took everything for the sake of the church. Um, and outside of, you know, again, life-threatening situations, that's ultimately probably going to be my counsel. Now, there's nuances in this, and there's no as much as I don't like nuances, they exist, right? Um, and, and then for the wives, you know, the scripture, again, the husband's action doesn't take away the wife's command from God. And as believers, we've got to get away from trying to do these things the way the world does them. And, you know, pop psychology has ruined the church. Modern psychology has wrecked the church. We try to bring in all of the world's views and ideas and the whole Me Too movement and everything into the church, and it just doesn't work because the commands God's given us. So, you go to 1 Peter 3, and for the wives— in the same way, this is just talked about the husbands, right? In the same way, you wives be subject to your own husband so that even if, now this is an incredible passage, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives, not your words, your behavior. And, right. then, and, you know, and then you look through the scriptures and you see the descriptions of a godly woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know what, that's the role. So if the husband's a jerk, uh, we, we'll try to work with the husband. If we need to rebuke the husband, we'll do that. Right. If he, yeah. it, whether he's a believer, unbeliever, we, we try to work with that. But at the end of the day, if your life is not being threatened, this is your command given from God. And yeah. both of these are done as unto the Lord. And I think, I think that's really where the strength of these commands come from. When you're doing it out of love for Christ, you find a Holy Spirit empowerment that you don't get if you're trying to just do it in your own strength, right? Yes, you love your husband, you love your wife, but ultimately, we do this because we love Christ. Uh, We do this because we understand what Christ has done for us. Yeah. And, and so, you know, how much abuse do you take? Um, you know, I, I, I would say that you take everything that you can take and that you're willing to take that can be covered by love. That as generically as I can put it, that, that's what I would say. Um, yeah. You know, and some, some people, well, some people may be willing to put up with a little bit more than others uh, beyond what they have to. And I would say, if you can, do it. Um, as Christians, you know, one of the issues is when we talk about abuse in these things is we no longer have a theology of suffering, right? We think it's bad and it's very me-centered. Uh, it's very self-centered. Um, and I, I think if we get that that theology of suffering back in a healthy way. We're not talking about, again, life-threatening situations. So, for those who are picking this, might pick this apart and and say, see, I got you, I got you. Uh, Just assume for the duration of this podcast that what we're not talking about is staying in a life-threatening situation. 
um, you know, as as pastors or as counselors, you know, we, we have a duty re- to report those things to the authorities, and we do uh, when we need to do that. Um, we, we'd never recommend people stay in a life-threatening situation, so that's not what we're talking about. Uh, but sometimes, you know, maybe you just take the slap on the wrist. Maybe the guy takes the plate that's thrown at him, Um, you know, for the sake of uh, the witness of Christ, for the sake of love. um, And and while you take those things, right, you are going to your elders, you're trying to get help in the marriage, you're working through these things, you're praying, you're in your Bible, you know, so it's not just um, be a doormat. That's not what we're saying, right? Add add to that, Eki. Yeah, I mean, I I think of... You are quoting First Peter chapter three verses one to six about the wife with the husband who's being disobedient to the word. Well, verse seven, husbands say, "Live with your wives in an understanding way." Right? Yep. Live with your wives in an understanding way as a fellow heir, and recognizing that if you don't do so, your hair, your prayers will be hindered. So we're taught when we talk about the empowerment from the Holy Spirit um, to the Christian to do what is right in God's eyes. Um, you're absolutely right. The Spirit will empower you to do far more than what you can possibly imagine. And I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, uh, I believe it's 13, that uh, God will not give you, will not tempt you beyond what you are able, but uh, will give you strength to be able to endure whatever uh, whatever situation that you're, you're going through. Um, so even if you think that there's a limit to what you can endure, um, again, short of your life actually being put in physical harm or in physical danger, um, even if you think you've reached your limit, my my counsel back is pray to God for more strength. Uh, pray to God to to continue to to endure well. And and I've seen many cases where the wife has at least won over to the husband to the point of the husband likes it when the wife is involved in church activities, sees the benefit in that in terms of her character and in her nature. Or the wife may be encouraging of the husband to attend church and and to to continue growing in, in his understanding of of the Word of God. Um, I, I've seen those situations happen as well. But yeah, we we have to be a people that ultimately are going to ask the question, what's going to please God in this situation? And one of the things that really, I think, bothers me personally, when when people start to imply that, when I talk about reconciled relationships, and then they start to imply that there's probably coercion or abuse involved, well, what they're basically getting at is that there's probably something involved that in their minds would justify a divorce. Yeah. And, and this is where the culture starts to win out again, because basically, if a couple has, um, has issues, there's probably some sort of um, abuse there. There's probably some sort of um, wrongful action, some quote unquote violence, which is more the kind of the verbal violence as opposed to the, the yeah. physical violence. And, and their implication is that, well, that's grounds for divorce. Now, they're not coming right out and saying that, but I think that's where a lot of this thinking yeah. heads towards. And it totally justifies the, hey, you know what? If that person doesn't treat you the way you deserve to be treated, then just get a divorce, right? But that's not, yeah. it's not what the Bible says. The Bible never says if you're not being treated the way you think you ought to be treated to get a divorce. Rather, it says follow after the example of Christ. And, and there have been just as many um, occasions that I can think of where I've had to counsel men to deal with the uh, verbally abusive words of their wife as the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, we talk about coercion and what, what we mean is persuading someone to do something by using force or threats, right? That, that's, that's what we're talking about. Um, it, it is very interesting and it's saddening 
Um, you, you know, I, I, you, you tweeted something about uh, couples being reconciled together. And it, yeah, some of the comments were they, they were so disturbing because effectively they refused to celebrate a, a marriage that was struggling yeah. that is now thriving and healthy and or even moving in that direction. Um, and, and so rather than celebrate God's good work in that, they're assuming that there's a bunch of nefarious things going on behind the scenes. And that is a result of of this, you know, the, the whole kind of me too movement, right? Um, Every woman is a victim. And, you know, again, it's the culture coming into the church that basically says, well, just what you said. Uh, If, if, if I don't feel like I'm being treated the way I ought to be, then let's get a divorce. Well, you know, I, I, I think the scripture I, I see two reasons for divorce in the scripture. Um, I, and we, again, we haven't talked about this, right? So uh, my, my view, I, I think there's two exception clauses in the scripture. I see um, uh, divorce for infidelity yeah. and I see divorce now, and I see divorce for an unbeliever wanting to leave the marriage. And I would even say that to me, that appears uh, that it's so as a result of the faithfulness of the believer, yeah. Not just because the believer is a jerk. Um, yeah. So those are the two reasons I see. Do, do, do you view that any differently? Yeah, I, I think I think we're on the same grounds. I mean, that's what the Bible is explicit about. Um, either uh, matters of adultery, um, or whether the, um, the one person's an unbeliever and walks away. And in some cases, it could be that someone claims to be a believer, but there's no fruit there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no repentance. There, there's no there's no obedience to yeah. the word of God. And, and so, in that case, from the counselor, from the elder's point of view, um, I may very well look at that individual as being really an unbeliever. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, I, I think where, where we start to get into the more nuanced position is going to be the functional abandonment. Right. Yep. And that's where I was going with that. You know, and, yep. and it's interesting uh, because abandonment, and now I know this is particularly true in the SBC circles. Um, when I hear guys talk about abandonment, I see them putting all kind of things that I would yeah. never call abandonment in that, right? Yeah. Um, a, a, a verbal abuse. I have seen pastors, uh, pastors who have counseled divorce because one of the spouses, you know, has bad language towards the other. Um, I wouldn't call that abandonment. I would call that right. you've got to deal with that. Let's help any way we can, but you, you don't get to leave the marriage for that reason. Um, but again, I, and I think that is all a result of the adopting the culture's idea of, well, if it's just not as peachy as I thought it was, then let's just get divorced. It, it's a low view and a, and a poor view of what marriage is, um, you know, understanding of, of, of who, you know, who or who ordained marriage, right? Marriage is by God's yeah. design, right? And so the world doesn't get to dictate how we function in terms of marriage. Yes, you know, we go get the marriage certificate and they recognize it, but the government has nothing to do with marriage as an institution. That's God's right. institution. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so as believers, you know, let us not separate let us not separate what God has joined together. We give those two reasons. And even in those two reasons, um, I would still tell people, you know, as much as you can take, although it's allowed, because we're, I mean, we're told why it's allowed. It's really allowed because of the sinfulness of man, even just those two. And so if you can put up with it, then put up with it. 
for the sake of Christ, for the sake of your witness, for the sake of possibly winning your spouse, um, you know, and adopt a theology of suffering in such a way that it glorifies God. And that's the point, right? What we do, we yeah, and, glorify God. And, Speak and to if that. you say, yeah, and if you say you can't put up with it, as the pastor, as the counselor, I'm going to ask, why do you think you can't put up with it? What is it that you can't put up with, right? Because it comes down to, are we obeying the scriptures or not? And if you're saying that I basically can't obey the scriptures, well, then you're saying that God can't strengthen you to do what he's called you to do. Um, so, that that's going to be an important point. So, also, one of the things I wanted to point out, when I had tweeted about reconciled relationships using biblical counseling, there was a lot of people that kind of fought against it or questioned whether there was coercion or abuse involved. Um, they were skeptical. They were doubtful about whether these are truly healthy relationships. This is a subtle form of saying, did God really say? Because what they're doing is that they are railing against the idea that the Bible can provide the counsel needed in order to repair marriages that are broken. A lot of them believe that you should send someone to a professional therapist instead, which I completely and 100% disagree with. Yeah. Any pastor who who has a broken marriage brought to him and sends him off to a professional therapist ought to step down because that is your role as totally a shepherd, agree. as a pastor to actually work with that couple and figure out spiritually what is going on there. And so when people start to question um, or show their skepticism or saying that, well, they're not really reconciled and that there's still problems, there's still coercion, abuse, whatever it may be, violence, they're essentially saying that the word of God is not powerful enough to be able to bring these um, these two people together. And, and by the way, when it comes to marriage counseling, it's a lot more than just pointing to the verses that say, wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. It's a yeah. lot more than that. It's a lot more than these few passages that we have in the New Testament that directly address husbands and wives. That's an important part of it. But a lot of it is trying to figure out spiritually why people are responding the way they're responding. Biblical counseling is a lot of times about how are you coping to a situation? And oftentimes, the way we cope with unwanted situations is what ends up revealing the idolatries of our heart. Um, the wife may have way too high of expectations or unreasonable expectations about what the husband should or should not be able to do. The husband may, same thing, may have unreasonable expectations about the wives, what the wife should do, or they may have expectations that are not, not even biblical, not necessarily sinful, but they're not even biblical. And that needs to be confronted to say, well, is that really important? Because what really should be important is that you guys are walking with God and that you guys are glorifying God in your relationship. So, all that to say that when people start to question the value of biblical counseling for marriage, they're basically saying that the Word of God is not enough to be able to repair um, difficulties between a husband and wife. Yeah, and it's very interesting because, again, we go back to who instituted marriage. Well, God did. So, why on earth would you want to go to a secular counselor who doesn't believe in God or even worse, maybe even hates God openly and acknowledges that uh, to try to fix something that God is the one who established in the very first place? Um, it, it, it really doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And what's also interesting is anyone who has either been to these counselors or is familiar with them, oftentimes the fix is medication. Yeah. Right. And, and so, I, I would just make the observation that um, th these medications, and this is just public information, right? These medications are not ever designed to fix the problem. They're designed to treat the symptoms. 
that that's right. it. And so basically you walk away a bit more like a zombie. Um, and, and because now you no longer have the mental capacity to process things the way you would without the medication, you say, oh, well, okay, now I'm, I'm better. But in reality, you've just swept things under the rug and you've not dealt with the, the spiritual aspects, which a secular counselor can never deal with. Right. Um, and and, and to, to your point that a pastor, if they're sending people to secular counselors, should step down, I wholeheartedly agree. And for for those who might say, well, they aren't trained, that's actually absolutely not true. In fact, all of your training is that. Because w- when you have two people in the counseling setting, all you are doing is shepherding them. You're discipling them. That, that's all you're doing. Um, and, and the Bible is your training. Knowing the Bible and knowing how to help people apply the truths of Scripture is the training. And so pastors, uh, if, if they're trained right to be a pastor, then they're far more equipped than any secular counselor with a PhD yeah. because they understand God. They understand man. They understand sin. They understand the work of the Holy Spirit. They understand God's design for marriage, um, and, and they understand absolute truth. And, and how to help people apply that to their lives. And so that's really, we talk about biblical counseling, that that is the pastor's role. And so I, I, I would also just say, if pastors who are out there feel like, you know, they're not equipped for that, then raise your view of scripture. Um, and, 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 you know, if you're equipped to rightly divide the word of truth, then you're equipped to counsel people and you're called to. We call it shepherding, but you could call it counseling if you want. Um, it, it's, it's all included in that, right? Uh, the rebuke, the exhorting, the correction, right? Well, that's, right. that's what counseling does. You do all those things. Um, and, and so the world should never be the place that believers go to uh, for these things ever. Now, if you've got a headache and this is, you know, this is a, a dumb argument that comes up all the time. We talk about the sufficiency of scripture and without a doubt, some troll crawls under the dark slimy bridge in which they live under and say, well, what about diabetes? Okay. Well, the, the doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture has nothing to do with medical conditions, right? Uh, right like diabetes, or if you, you know, you're taking whatever you're taking. When I have a headache, I don't go open my Bible. I go open my Tylenol bottle, um, as yeah. it were. Or in, in, yeah, so we are not even talking about those things. But when it comes to life issues, how to live rightly before God, how to live rightly with one another, how to view truth and the world around us, the Bible is 100% sufficient for that. It's what yeah. you need. Um, and, and if you don't think it is, it's probably just because you're not understanding your Bible well. And that's what pastors are for. It's what elders are for. It's what the church is for, right? Um, and, and so, w- w- these are things that we really shouldn't be taking to the world. Um, again, if it's not a life-threatening situation, and let me just say this, uh, if it's a life-threatening situation, just why on the world is everyone going to social media to talk about that? Um, if you're in a life-threatening situation for crying out loud, dial 911 uh, and, yeah. and, and get the police there. I, I mean, don't call me first. Don't, you know, don't call your pastor first. If you're genuinely in a life-threatening situation, you know, get away and dial 911. Um, you know, I, I, 
used to work for the sheriff's department as as a communicator, nine one one operator. Very first thing we would tell people, right? Um, get to safety. Get to a place yeah. of safety and wait for the police. Same thing. Don't go to social media. Um, call nine one one. Get to safety and and then you know communicate to your pastor. You know when you're safe and you can do that. Um, but outside of that. You know, I, I don't know that we we don't need to be getting the police involved in church matters when we don't have to do that. Um, when safety is not an issue, we don't need to be publicizing all of that publicly. You know, we need to cover uh, again. You know, love covers a multitude of sins, and well, it says just that, right? We yeah. acknowledge that they are sin. It's sin. Someone has sinned against you, and your love, firstly for Christ. Um, which, by the way, a lot of the covering the sins of others with love comes down to understanding that in reality, you, you aren't getting what you deserve. You aren't being treated as poorly as you actually do deserve. And we're talking about understanding sin, right? Um, so as terrible as I may get treated here on earth or as you may get treated here on earth, the reality is my sin really um, demands far greater than that. Yeah. Now, I'm not excusing uh, sinning against one another you know, <laughs> by, by any means, but what I am saying is when we have a right view of sin and a right view of uh, God, God's salvation for us, I think it helps us to cover the sins of one another far better. W- would you agree with that? Yeah, and, and I think of First um, Corinthians six. This is the um, this this is Paul rebuking um, some in Corinth for bringing lawsuits up against each other, and so that that's a clear cut case where hey, don't go to the secular world to bring up lawsuits. But I think what often gets overlooked is the rationale behind this, because yeah. Paul starts off with this. He says in verse two, "Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? And and really the argument that he's making is that, you know what, you've been given far more wisdom than the world. And to, to, to say that the world needs to be a judge or a mediator for your disputes, that's actually, that, 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 that's, that, that shows how much the church is failing. Because yeah. okay? people who are spiritual, people who understand the word of God, who understand the will of God, should be able to do a much better job of actually judging situations between peoples. Now, again, as you mentioned, um, if there is a point where someone's in physical danger, get the authorities involved. And then I'm not saying that there's never a time where you, you can't ever go to secular authorities, but from believer to believer, the church should be able to handle just about everything. You know, if it's a good and healthy church, if you're at a unhealthy church, if people there are showing themselves not to be um, to, to be people who walk with God or people who know the word of God or who have given into the culture, that becomes a totally different challenge all in of itself. And I would say find a good and healthy church that uh, that fits what the what the Bible describes as as a true church. Not that any church is ever perfect. None are. Everyone's got their their problems. Um, but you want to be at a church where they are functioning as a community and where the leaders are helping to shepherd the flock. And as you mentioned, that's all counseling is. It is shepherding the flock. We preach because we want to apply the word of God to their hearts. Yeah. Counseling, and this is what my mentor used to say to me, preaching is bringing the word of God to the people. Counseling is bringing people to the word of God. Because a lot of times what gets preached on the pulpit from Sundays, it doesn't 
while they may give a hearty amen, and then they may nod to it, and they may agree to it, they often, and this is just human nature, this is all of us, we often fail to apply it to the many blind spots that we have in our own lives. And so, biblical counseling is really just about, hey, let's take a look at what you're going through. Let's let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about those things. And then let's start to examine the ways in which the Bible can shine a light into those areas in, in your heart and in your lives that that need to be addressed. Um, that, that's that's really all, all this is. And for Christians to suggest that the Bible is not sufficient, and you're right, when we say sufficient, we mean sufficient uh, for living a life of godliness. Yeah, we mean sufficient in the ways that that all the areas where the scriptures actually do address. It doesn't address if you get cancer or some kind of physical ailment, and to the point of not sending people off to secular therapists. You know, my you make another great point. If the issue that a couple is having is spiritual, and I guarantee you, in just about every single marital dispute I've ever encountered, there's always a spiritual issue there. I'm not saying that there may not be more, but there's always a spiritual issue there. If you just give that off to a, a therapist who has no knowledge of the Word of God, not using the Word of God as his or her authority, well, you've basically put them in a position where that spiritual issue is impossible to address. It becomes impossible to address because they don't have the spiritual answers, and, and they will take things that are actually spiritual issues and lay put put labels over them and then start to give medication and all that and and going back to our earlier point we do not give medical advice okay so i don't tell people to stop taking medication i don't tell people to start taking medication if um if they went to go see a doctor and they recommended it i don't recommend it against it i i don't touch it what i try to do is address the spiritual issue itself and if that believer comes to a point where they think well, do I really need this medication if I understand how to deal with this spiritually and I see that this is a spiritual issue? If they come to that conviction by themselves, then more power to them. You know, and I think that would be a good conviction to come to, but I don't lead them there. That's something that they have to come to themselves. And I will tell them, well, talk to your doctor. Um, let your doctor know that you believe that you're dealing with this situation much better. You don't, you don't believe the medication is necessary if that's what it is that you believe, but I'm not going to be the one to make that decision for you. Yeah. Right. You know, people in the church have survived, you know, a couple thousand years without these medications. And somehow believers uh, like David and, you know, all these guys that you see in the in the scriptures have been able to find their needs met in the pages of scripture. And so we would certainly say that, um, you know, we're no different than they were. And we, too, can find the answers that we need in scripture. It, you know, in reality, I, every strife between two people comes from the sin of pride no. every strife not a single one um because there is a self-centeredness or self is at the bottom of it somewhere in one if not in both people it's always almost always some of that in both people uh right um w w having wrong expectations um, not responding correctly. It's all about me, 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 which is very interesting uh, because you go to Ephesians chapter four and also Paul is talking about the worthy walk, right? And, and he's saying, if you profess to be a Christian, then there is an expectation that you live your life in a manner worthy of that profession. And the very first thing that he says when he kind of lists these characteristics in verse two is humility, Right now, in fact, let me just read the, the first the three verses there. It says, therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, exhort you to walk 
worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. Well, the word humility there is a really interesting word. And I know you preached in Ephesians sometime back um, and we're, we're in Ephesians now. I mean, that, that word, you know, it, it, it's to have a very low view of yourself. And that is totally counter to everything our culture teaches, right? Um, if we viewed others as being more significant than ourselves, uh, then a lot of these things would never reach the public um, that they reach. And so, right, we talked a lot about, I mean, kind of the, the abuse issue in the terms of um, marriage. I want to kind of move it out for for a second because in the church it's often uh, it's often you know brought into the sphere in terms of elders with church members and things like that and again it ranges from everything from genuine abuse um to you know people just simply not liking what was taught or said from the pulpit or church discipline right i i have seen several uh, people say that their church abused them, and it was because they ended up under church discipline for one reason or another. Um, yeah. how, how should we start thinking about those things? I mean, it's becoming more prolific in the church, right? We're seeing articles by you know so-called you know uh, journalists about abuse in this church and that church, and yeah. you know as time goes on, the, the abuse seems to get more petty and more petty, but it's still viewed as you know, major, major issues. Yeah. And then this is, um, again, I believe this is another way that the culture is seeping into the church. The culture operates with mob rule, you know, so I mean, even in secular cases that happen, um, the public has an opinion over what really happened and how the verdict should, should go once it gets to court. And Kyle Rittenhouse is a great example of that. Mm. And there was the Nicholas Sandman and the confrontation he had with that Native American um, as another example. Look, um, when it comes to local issues, I'm in no position to be able to judge over what happened because I don't know the details of what happened, quite honestly. And, um, and for churches that have elders there, those elders have to give an account before God over how they shepherded the flock. Right? Yeah. They're, yeah. They have the greatest responsibility. And then you had mentioned earlier that, uh, that, that men in marriage relationships, men have it harder than women. And I, I would rephrase that slightly to say that men have a greater responsibility because they have this spiritual leadership. Yeah. I think, and that's both, really what I was meaning. So yeah, yeah, both, both, that. yeah, both have an equal battle with sin. Both are going to yep. struggle in, in various different ways and in their roles and all that. Um, but yeah, so for the churches that are dealing with these issues, I would say you as elders, you have a responsibility for God, and I would pray that those elders take that responsibility seriously and that they are doing they're doing doing their due diligence to make sure that they have understood as much as possible with regards to what's happening there, and and that's really all I can say without having more information or evidence, or yeah. even if more information comes forward, oftentimes the information is one sided. And I made this statement also that uh, when it comes to a church and their counseling practice, we, we promise our counselees confidentiality. Okay. So, I mean, unless there is something that is required to be reported to the authorities, yeah. like threats of physical violence or something like that, we are to remain confidential. And if at some point in the future, we decide to go ahead and open up and start sharing details about those counseling cases, um, that ruins the integrity of the whole counseling practice to begin with. Now, you might say, well, you know, that person might be okay with it in that particular case, but there are people who are 
counseling with us now um, that we want to be able to protect that integrity to say that in no way, shape, or form are we going to share this information. You, you can certainly share it if you'd like, but I'm not going to share that information. And, and so, th- this obviously gets into the whole Julie Roy's, Grace Community Church kind of situation. Not going to get into the de- details of something that happened 20 years ago. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we have to at least, if, you, if you're going to have an opinion about something, you know, at least try to recognize that you don't have all the information that you think you have. Yeah. And in fact, oftentimes, even the elders who are working to the best of their ability don't have all the information that you're going to have 20 years later. Even in a secular situation, that's true for investigating officers, that's true for judges, that's true for juries. You know what? Humans are sinful and humans do what humans, sinful beings do what sinful beings do best. And that's to try to hide their sins from the eyes of other people. Yeah. But nothing is hidden before God. And that's where our ultimate comfort has to come in. Recognizing that one of the reasons why we live in a broken world is because the world is broken as a result of sin. It might be our sin. It might be other people's sin. It might be just the general condition of the world because of sin. Um, but we have to recognize that this life is temporal. Yeah. And so, to your point, we follow after the example of Christ. The theology of suffering reminds us that Christ suffered first, and so we follow after his example. And, and, I, and there is one more point I, I did want to touch up on, because we talked about early on how the, the whole words are not violence kind of thing. And, and let me just address a couple of the biblical arguments against that. So, when I say words are not violence, there's two places people tend to go. One is uh, James chapter 3. Yeah. Talking about how the, the the tongue is is basically a flame of fire, right? Um, doing all kinds of violence. The other is Jesus talking about how you are guilty of murdering your brother if you have harsh words against him. And I would say that in those cases, those cases are showing the the, the violent language that's being used there is being used there for illustrative purposes. It's it's pointing to the condition of the heart that if you are you know screaming out in anger at someone, if you're getting upset. In the heart, it's the same kind of sin that leads to murder. So, to, to that, I'll agree that it's got the same source, but the outcome of that is going to be different. And that's even seen in the Old Testament law because the Old Testament law doesn't call for someone to be put to death simply for angry words. Yeah. But the Old Testament law will call someone to be put to death for murder of someone else. Yeah. Right. So, even the law in the Old Testament, even the law in the land recognizes that. Look, Nathan, Nathaniel, if you were to utter angry words at me, I can't take you to court and, and uh, win a case against you, right? You know, but if you were to physically come and, and attack me, then I have a real case. You know, so we understand that there is that separation. And, and because words don't do actual violence, yeah. you know, we as Christians, we have the ability to be able to trust in God during those circumstances and to be able to respond in a way that glorifies him. Yeah. And if it if it's a situation that requires counseling, come for counseling. Go to your pastor. Go to someone who understands the scriptures. But just to reemphasize, if you are a pastor and you don't believe that the word of God is meant to address those spiritual issues, you're not qualified to do what you're doing. Yeah, resign. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and I think if you also look at those Bible verses, if you were try to if you were try to take them literally in the sense that they they do cause damage, if you just consider the fact that if that were true, then it would mean that they always do that level of damage all the time to every person, which is yeah. not the case. And so you have to ask yourself, okay, well, if that's not the case, then clearly it's it's speaking to something different, right? Um, but that, that's uh, actually a great point. Let me interject on that because now we're getting into the whole emotions, feelings, and and 
subjective truth kind of aspect to this. Yeah. Because you're right. A person can say the exact same hateful words to someone like you and can say it to someone else um, that's going to respond very differently. And, and trust me, we've had a lot of hateful words thrown at us. Nathaniel, you've experienced that uh, more recently. Um, but especially on social media, I've got people that hurl all kinds of profanities at me, um, tell me to do this and do that. And, you know, there are all kinds of things that not even worth mentioning, you know, but to someone that responds to it um, in a way that they feel like they're, they, they've had violence done to them, right? Um, it's it's the difference between how someone responds, and that becomes more of a personal matter, becomes more of a subjective matter, yeah. and then you can't measure truth based upon subjective feelings. And then you know what? It's going to sound harsh, but especially for men in the church, if their feelings are getting hurt over words that are being said to them, I will tell them to grow up and be a man, because this is what Christ endured. We are called to endure the same thing: endure it and endure it well. And for women, I'll be a little bit more gentle, but it's going to be essentially going to be the same kind of advice. Now, again, within a marriage, let's talk about that. That husband needs to be rebuked. That's no way for um, people in a marriage relationship to treat one another. If it's two people within the church, let's talk about that. That person needs to be confronted. But you know what? If it's you in the world, take it. Take it because that's exactly what we expect from the world. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, look, First Peter 4, 1, therefore, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Um, you, you've got 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 2 Timothy 3, 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, I mean all of these verses, you know, teach us that contrary to what the world would believe, Right, the the world teaches if you don't get exactly what you want, if you don't feel the way um, you you think you ought to feel, then cut the relationship off, uh, publicly criticize, you know, whatever it is, because essentially it's all about you. You're God, and the universe is centered around you, and that garbage has come to the church. the The point is to get Christians to think: okay, what is the righteous thing to do? What is the holy thing to do? Right understanding that we don't always do that, uh, right? But but what should I do? Could, could I tell you if I was in the case of, you know, if you, if you and I were ever in a case similar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would we make the same choice? Well, I don't know. I, I pray that we would, yeah. you know, um, but before we ever get into those scenarios, um, we have to have the mindset that no matter what, I'm going to be faithful. I mean, that has to be our mindset first, right? Yeah. And, and then we, we pray and we trust that if we ever had to make difficult choices, we, we would make the right one. We trust God to do that. And if we make the wrong one, right, that we repent for that and we, you know, we get up and we continue on in faithfulness. So, we understand those things. And, and the same as when we're talking about all this stuff in, in abuse in churches, um, yeah, stop using the language, the way the world's using it, right? Um, start thinking of the body of Christ. That, that Ephesians passage is actually pretty powerful in the first uh, chapter four there. The, yeah. the whole, what is it, for the whole, the whole half of that chapter is all yeah. centered around unity in the church, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Um, and if our aim was to preserve the unity in the church, to cover sins by love, to, to be humble uh, when we're responding to other people, we would never know. 
about probably three quarters of the stuff that comes out. Right now, again, we function within the parameters of our law. We're not talking about endangering anyone's life. Um, but a lot of the stuff that comes out, we would never know about. And it yeah. would and it would be more righteous and honorable that that would be true. You know, to go back to the point when, um, it, you know, now we got a bunch of abuse headhunters out there. Um, and sometimes it's legitimate and sometimes it's totally not. Uh, the reality is, you know, uh, un- unless it's brought forth publicly because of legal issues, it's really none of your business what's in another church. I, I mean, it really isn't. It, the the elders are there. They are charged with shepherding the sheep. They're charged with protecting the sheep, which means uh, keeping counseling issues private. Um, other than those things, which by law have to be brought up, if they don't have to be brought up, they shouldn't be brought up. Um, and to to sort of get involved and spread that stuff around, it's really just gossip at yeah. that stage. And it's attacking the body of Christ. It's instead of letting love cover those sins, it's pulling love back. It's ripping love apart to expose and to bring harm for all the world to see. And so really all you're doing is giving a bad witness uh, for the world to see in the church. And you don't have to like that, but if we're humble and if we love one another, we should be covering those things. And so, you know, maybe the slap on the wrist or two dudes in the church get in a fist fight even one time. You deal with it, you, you know, hope for a reconciliation, uh, assuming they do, you know what, you you cover it and you, you know, you deal with it. Um, yeah. And whatever legal stuff you have to do, we do that uh, willingly uh, so that we're in line with the law. And other than that, we cover these things for the sake of the witness of Christ, for the sake of our love for Christ, recognizing what he's done for us and for the sake of the love and unity in the church, right? Um, and, and so really, it's just no one's business, mostly. It, it's not my business um, what you're doing in your church in terms of the, the normal shepherding stuff. Yeah. Um, and unless you know something legal comes out, um, it, it's not my business to know. Right, we trust that right. uh, the shepherds are doing their job, and we trust that if you know God will bring out stuff in the light if He needs to, and ultimately He's the judge and He'll deal with those things in the local churches. But what we shouldn't be doing is going around crying abuse for everything. Um, that unfortunately, and, and w- women will bear the brunt of this, and we've talked about it. Um, what will happen if if it continues is those cases that uh, genuinely go far too far, um, women will end up suffering because of the wolf cry abuse so much, right? And that's what we don't want to happen. We, we never want to see people genuinely harmed because we've helped create a culture of being desensitized to these yeah. things. Right, right. Last yeah, words, abuse, brother? Yeah, uh, real abuse victims um, need real help. And, uh, and, and we don't want to belittle what they have gone through by labeling everything as abuse, everything that we don't like as abuse. Yeah. And we want to celebrate when uh, uh, genuine abuse victims see restorations in their marriage, when they're reconciled to people who abuse yeah. them. And yes, that's a real thing. Yes. And, and I would love to see the, uh, an abused person and the abuser be reconciled to one another. And that yeah. can look like a hundred different things. 
Um, but let me tell you, God is glorified in that stuff. We should, in, in those reconciliations, that, that's, that's, that's what God does. He's in the business of reconciling, right? First us to himself uh, and then us to one another. And so we should never, ever um, cast aspersions on marriages who have been healed by God's word and who are now healthy. Uh, we, we should celebrate those things with great joy uh, because God gets glory in those things, right? Amen. Amen and amen. Well, thank you guys for joining us. I hope that this has been helpful to you. Until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.